You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. All right. So if you have been with us for the last several weeks, we've been in a series talking about identity. We started by talking about our identity as Christians and what does that look like. And we really focused on our identity being rooted in Christ. And so now we've shifted over to talking about Christ's identity, right? If we're going to root our identity in Christ, we should probably know who he is and we should have a good understanding of that. And so that's what we're talking about right now. This week, we're going to look at Jesus as a teacher. Jesus called disciples to him, and we're going to look at what what can that tell us about who he is. Um, So um, we're going to go through a lot of scripture this morning, and hopefully we're going to be able to draw some things out of that that's helpful for us in our understanding of who Jesus is. Um, Before I dive into that, I'm just going to open us in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the people that you've brought here today and those that might be watching online, Lord. I pray that you would speak to each one of them where they're at, that you would know exactly what words they need to hear and how they can um, know you better and grow closer to you through this word this morning, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. So some, some context for this idea of a teacher and a disciple. In first century Jewish culture, it's a little different than how we might think of a teacher today, um, but not totally different. Uh, so a rabbi or a teacher in that culture was somebody whose job was to teach about what they believed. And they would do that through teaching, preaching, modeling. Um, We see Jesus do a lot of those same activities. We see him using parables. We see him modeling the life that he was preaching. We see him teaching people. And and so that was a very typical rabbi, um, sort of that was their job. And then a disciple would be somebody who would hear a rabbi and think, okay, that's the one that I'm going to align myself with. And they would study under a specific rabbi. And often they would have that as their vocation. And they would follow the rabbi around uh, as they were preaching to others. The disciple would learn everything that they could. They might bring other disciples into their little group. And then many of them would eventually become rabbis themselves. So um, as one commentator put it, it's not that dissimilar from going off to college. So when you become a disciple of somebody, you might leave your family and you might leave sort of whatever family business you were in and you would travel around and learn under a specific rabbi. So that's the, the historical context. And so what we see Jesus doing here is pretty similar to what um, other rabbis of the day would have been doing. Uh, There are some key differences, so I I definitely want to highlight some of those as we go through. Um, And so we are going to start in the Gospel of Matthew. So I don't know if anybody else has this um, issue, but sometimes when I read the Gospels, I read them as four individual stories. And that's not accurate. They are four versions of the same story about the same person, Jesus. And so it's important to know that when you're reading each gospel, they give us information about Jesus from different perspectives. Each of the gospel writers had their own audience that they were writing to, and they had their own um, aspect of who Jesus was that they wanted to focus on. So they give us some different details, but it's four versions of the same story. So that's really helpful when we're looking at context. Um, So starting in Matthew's version of the calling of the disciples, in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22, it says, 
And Jesus walked beside, and Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So in the first uh, few chapters of Matthew's gospel, we see Jesus's birth. We see a few things about when he's younger. And then we see John the Baptist preaching about him. We see Jesus being tested in the wilderness. We don't see any interaction with Jesus in these four men. So it might seem like Jesus is a total stranger to these men, and he comes up beside them basically while they're at work and says, leave everything and follow me. And if you're only reading Matthew's gospel, it might seem like that's what's happening. That's not what's happening. So I want us to have a more full context of what's going on here. So if we flip over to John's gospel... Quick side note here, if you're not familiar with it, John's gospel was written by the disciple John, and the story we're going to read features John the Baptist. These are two different Johns. John was a very, very common name, so there's quite a few Johns. So if we flip over to John chapter 1, so starting in verse 19, I'm going to read some, some kind of context to what was going on here. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent the priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent to question him, questioned him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands, stands one who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. So in this context, we see John the Baptist, and he is preaching about the Messiah to come. Now, you have to remember that everybody in Jewish culture would have known what the prophet Isaiah said. This is what they would have learned about in their, you know, their version of church. You know, they would go on the Sabbath to the temple, and they would hear what was being preached. So they knew about the Torah. They knew about the prophets. And so John the Baptist is going around, and he's in this region saying, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not Elijah, but there is one coming. I'm the one who was sent to tell you about him. And just before this, you know, again, if we look in the other Gospels, we see that John had confirmation of who Jesus was. So John's been in this region for a certain amount of time. We don't know exactly, but, you know, potentially for years, John has been preaching this message. And now he has seen Jesus, he baptized Jesus, he got the confirmation of the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus in that baptism, so he knows that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that they've all been waiting for, the one that they all are familiar with from the prophets. So John quotes here from Isaiah, the one is coming, and John knows who he is. 
And so you see in this that John has enough of a following that the Pharisees, the religious leaders who are very skeptical, they send people to question John. So that gives us the, the idea that a lot of people are listening to John. People know what he's preaching, and they're trying to figure out what, what's going on here. Who is this guy? So suffice to say, people in the region are familiar with John and what he's been preaching, and now John knows who the Messiah is. He's gotten that confirmation, and he's starting to point that out to people. So if we skip ahead a few verses, we're going to jump over to uh, John 1.35, and it says this. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John said and had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated to Peter. So what we see here is a more full context of what's happening. John the Baptist has been in this region, and he's preaching about the coming Messiah. He then gets confirmation that Jesus is that coming Messiah. And some of his disciples then start to follow Jesus. And in fact, these two disciples that then in Matthew's version of the gospel, we see Jesus call to them when they're in the boat. And so looking at this full context, we see that Jesus was not a stranger to these men. Jesus was known in this region. This is not, we're not talking about the entire region of Israel. This is all taking place in the Sea of Galilee region, which is a small area. And these are small communities, and people would have known each other. So Jesus was known to these men. And so when he called them and said, come, follow me, they knew who he was. They'd had confirmation. Andrew heard John the Baptist confirm, this is the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. And so with that context of Jesus's calling of the disciples, um, what can we learn from all of that about who Jesus is? I'm going to point to three things that I think are, are important things for us to take away from this based on who Jesus called and how he called them and how they followed him. So the first thing is who he called. So this story, um, we, we only see a few of the, the, the disciples being called here. Um, we saw Andrew and then, of course, Simon, who Jesus renames Peter. We saw James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Um, a few verses later in John, we see Philip and Nathaniel being called. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. So we, we don't see every single disciple being called here. Um, but what we do see are some pretty average men, pretty average fishermen in this region. That was a very, very common job because the lake was a, a primary source of food. They got fish from it. And so we're talking just kind of your average Jewish men. We also see that um, Matthew is one of the disciples that's called. You know, he, Matthew wrote his gospel, and Matthew was a tax collector. And so we see that Jesus called people that the world may not have, um, the world may not have called these men to be the disciples of Jesus. The world looks at a lot of things, and and the world has values and places values on people, and Jesus disregards all of that. Jesus does not care about where you come from, what your past is. He calls all of us to be his disciples. 
And so we can see that as we look at these people, Jesus didn't pick out the Pharisees and, and those that had, you know, social status or religious status in the area. He called the average people. And he called people that maybe didn't have the best past. And then we also can see if we look down at Jesus' call of Nathanael uh, in John 1, starting in verse 43, it says, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching him, he said, "Truly, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. So like Nathaniel, Jesus knew us before he called us. He's not calling you because he doesn't know about all that stuff in your past. He's not calling you because he thinks you are perfect. He's calling you knowing full well who you are. I find a lot of comfort in that. I hope you do as well. So we know that Jesus calls all of us regardless of where we come from. When I look at how Jesus called them, um, and what I mean by that is when I look at Jesus' call to them to leave everything and follow him, I think we, we have to keep a few things in mind. One, this is descriptive, not prescriptive, which means Jesus doesn't always call all of us to drop everything, walk away from our family and our jobs, and, and follow him. Some of us are called to that. Some of us are called to leave the comfort of a job or the comfort of you know, our family and, and go to the ends of the earth to, to tell others about him. But what I want to focus more on is that we are called to put Jesus above everything else in our lives. And in that sense, we are all called to drop everything in order to prioritize him first in our lives. Matthew, later on in the book, talks about this a little bit. Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, he says, uh, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Whatever, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So Jesus calls us to at the very least, metaphorically, drop everything to prioritize him first in our life. And so we know that Jesus wants to be the number one thing in our life. That's something that, you know, I think all of us can think of things in our life that sometimes we put ahead of Jesus and that we, we can really work on. Uh, as one commentator put it, all the riches and pleasures and powers of this world have no value if one forfeits eternal spiritual life. Right? So we know that Jesus is the thing that should be first in our life. And when we look at how the disciples followed him, they really followed him the way that he called them to in this passage. Not right away, because shortly after this, Jesus is crucified and there's some stumbling. Right? We know that Peter denies him and we know that um, some of the disciples go back to their jobs as fishermen. But eventually, after the resurrection, the disciples, all except for John, follow Jesus very literally to their deaths, the way that he was crucified. And so we see them follow him in that way. We see that the disciples 
sacrificed literally everything to follow Jesus. Now again, many of us may not be called to that extreme, but what does it tell us about who Jesus is that so many people are willing to follow him to the point of sacrificing their life? That tells us that he is the Messiah. John the Baptist told us that. He quoted from Isaiah and said, I'm the one who comes before. Make way the path for the Lord. That's a direct quote from Isaiah, where Isaiah is talking to the Jewish people and recalling for them what God did in the Exodus, that God made a way for them through the wilderness in the past, and that in the future, God was going to send the Messiah to make a way for all of us. So we have that prophecy, and we have John the Baptist confirm it, and then we have the disciples and so many others across time who have been willing to follow Jesus to that point, to the point of sacrificing their lives. And that tells us, that tells me, that he is the Messiah, the one worth sacrificing our lives for, whether that be literally or whether that be in the metaphor of putting everything in our life lower than him. I'm sure we can all think of things in our life that we need to reorder so that Jesus is the number one thing in our life. And if you're here this morning and you have not made Jesus number one in your life, if you were here this morning and you have not accepted Jesus' gift of salvation and, and acknowledged him as the Savior, as the Messiah, please come find me afterwards because I would love to talk more about that because we know that he's the Messiah. We're in a season of Lent right now and we are coming up on celebrating the resurrection, the death and resurrection, where Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. And this is a perfect season for us to get to know Jesus' identity as the Messiah. Jesus is a great teacher, yes, and we can learn a lot from him by the life he lived, by the way that he taught what he preached. He preached a lot of things that he also lived out and modeled for us. That's fabulous. I love that. But he was so much more than just a teacher. He's the Messiah, the Savior. And so in this season of Lent, as we are working up towards the death and resurrection, as we are celebrating what he did for us, the gift he gave us of eternal life, what a great time to really reaffirm his identity and root our own identity in that. So as the band comes back up, I'm going to pray over us this morning. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your gift of salvation, for what you have done for us. I'm so thankful that you're also a great teacher, that you have shown us a way to live with righteousness and holiness, God. Even though we fall short, you forgive us of that, but you're always there for us to show us the way that we can live, Father. I pray for everyone here this morning that they would be closer to you. If anyone here this morning, Lord, doesn't know you as their Savior, Lord, I pray that you would stir in their heart uh, a desire to know you, Lord, and that you would give them the courage to speak to somebody about that, God. You know everyone's heart that is here, Lord, and we are so thankful for the way that you transform our hearts, God. We lift you up this morning and we praise your name. In your name we pray. Amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.